G'day, Cityline South Church, Don here. Really great to be able to gather with you today. I'm actually really excited to get stuck into the Word and this series. I'm loving this series, seeing what the world needs now. And, and in reality, today we're going to be looking at what does the world need now from you? What is that thing? What has God already given you or what has He done in you and wanting to do through you right now to impact the world? What does the world need now? Today we're going to look at what the world needs now is joy and what the world needs now is your joy. So let me pray. Uh, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about it and what God might want to do again in you and through you in this uh, fairly unique period in history. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that everything uh, that has led us to here has been either by um, your, uh, your you're sending or you're by allowing and that you're working all things together for our good in all of these things. And so as we find ourselves in in Adelaide, in the south of Adelaide in 2020, uh, in, the, in the midst or for us almost post-pandemic, um, help us to know what you'd have for us and from us as we go about your business in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does the Bible have to say about joy? We're going to look at some of the, um, the big places the Bible talks about joy, and we're going to look at some of the unexpected places. In fact, really drill down deep into some of the unexpected places that Scripture talks about joy. Uh, so <clears throat> Fruit of the Spirit, one of the like, key passages on what does it look like to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit? Love, preeminent, right at the beginning. Next comes joy. Joy right after love, love and joy. It's not something you have to manufacture. It's something that happens in and out of each person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Joy is a natural consequence or fruit of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Joy, uh, <clears throat> John 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, this is Jesus speaking, my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. It's a presence of joy. And it's a quantity and quality of joy. Joy with you and joy to the full. Jesus' own joy. Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 1 John 1, Philippians 4, uh, Nehemiah 8, Psalm 51. Even in Job, Job 8. He will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Romans 13. That's what Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Spirit, you may abound in hope. So many places in Scripture that God helps us understand what joy is <clears throat> that we have it and what it is for. There's one place you might not have thought about uh, in, in reading, you might, not, might not have evoked thoughts about joy, or you might not have thought, oh yeah, this passage or this story is about joy. There's one place where Jesus is, is uh, has a number of people around and he tells a parable. And we know it as the parable or the story of the prodigal son. And this is, this is how it goes. It's how it's recorded in Luke 15. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, a 
and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. <clears throat> he's rehearsing in his mind this conversation he's going to have with his dad. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's starting into this conversation he's rehearsed. Verse 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and put shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Massive party. This is where we start to like get into joy, and we're going to see this more. But the story continues. Verse 25, Now his older son was in a field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, like begged him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Very famous passage. You, you have no doubt heard it. If you've never like been to a church before, and this isn't really like being... Uh, we're, not, we're not really gathering. We're still scattered, although kind of gathering. And, and this is a, a wonderful grace and providence from God that we can still do a kind of a church like this in a certain kind of way. But if you've never really been in a church before, likely you've still heard the story of the prodigal son before. Very, very famous passage. Here are some of the keys to the story of the prodigal son with relation to joy. The son comes back and he asks the father, make me like your servant. He doesn't ask the father to... Just give him something. <clears throat> he, he realizes how far he has fallen for, out of the grace of his father. How rebellious he had been. How utterly like destructive he had been to his relationship with his father. He'd said to his father, give me, your, give me the inheritance originally. Meaning, you're dead to me. I wish you were dead so that I could have your money that's coming to me. And he comes back to his father and doesn't say, doesn't come back to his father <clears throat> with that same kind of... Um, entitlement he comes almost groveling like make me i will i will earn anything from you just so that i could eat not give me something he realized even his father's servants were treated better than he was being treated away from the father so he comes back and the father's heart is filled with joy so here, here we see the first part of joy at the beginning it's a fractured relationship and then a squandered inheritance no joy in any of this uh, like licentiousness over here or destructiveness over there. But as soon as the son comes back, joy fills the father's heart. What else do we do with joy? The older son says, I worked for you like a slave because he approaches the father like a slave and not like a son, which is why he doesn't have any joy. This is going to be one of our key points later on. <clears throat> the, the son comes back and wants to be treated like a slave. And the father wants to treat him like a son. 
Whereas the son who never leaves treats his father as if he's a slave, as if he's in a transactional relationship, as if he has worked and so the father now owes him something. It's amazing. And so he has no joy because he's treating his relationship with his father transactionally. Someone who approaches God like a slave, not a son, cannot be happy for someone else who approaches like a son, but is, like a slave, but is treated like a son in their joy. Because if you're treating God like <clears throat> a, if you if you are approaching God like a slave, then the only thing you're after is what can God give you. And so if you have any perceived lack in your life, you can't be joyful for somebody else's uh, fulfilling life or thing that they're happy about or um, take joy in. Because all it does is highlight your lack. Who we are is the first son. We we can approach God with joyful praise and joyful living because we know how utterly destitute we were without God. How rebellious we had been without Him. With With our hearts, with our minds, with our lives, with our attitudes, we had said to Him, we wish you were dead. We, wish, we, we just want to go and live our own life, our own way, enjoying all of the benefits that you would give us with this, with this like amazing creation that he has made for us. But we want to go and spend it all on ourselves and find joy apart from you. And we realize, rightly, there's no joy found there. Only fleeting experiences along the way. <clears throat> and so when we responded to to God's love, His gift of grace. Now we come like the Son who has been embraced by the Father uh, and we can be filled with joy as a part of that celebration. We've been forgiven absolute rebellion and been made as one, as if back from the dead, made into His own child, not a slave who's come in for some sort of transactional um, relationship, like business-type relationship, but welcomed into the family as a son or a daughter. So what can take our joy? If we look at the older brother then, if we see we are actually much more, hopefully like the younger son, for those of us who are in Christ, where we, again, have been in rebellion um, and God has, with his grace, brought us into his family. What are some things that can take our joy? If we look at the older son, he was full of bitterness. He refused to join the celebration. Craziness to refuse to join the celebration. Joy is available to him right there. He's had relationship with the Father. Man, there's so much more we could say about his relationship with the Father. I really want to like keep in the lane of, of thinking about how this um, parable tells us about joy, even though there's many other things that this parable tells us about. Let's, let's stick in joy. He refuses to join in the celebration. We can do that as well. But we do that as well. Uh, Tim Keller, he says that bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. That if we were God, we would have done things differently. God has treated us poorly. <clears throat> therefore, we are bitter with him or with at our circumstances or with other people, we believe that we deserve better. The older son cannot celebrate with the younger son because all he sees when he sees the father's grace towards the rebellious son is the comparison that he should get more. He should have more. That God should favor him because of that transactional relationship. He says, well, this son has been horrific and you've welcomed him with grace. I've been good all my life expecting that you would give me stuff and you haven't given me stuff. That leads to the second point, comparison. He has this, I've never had that. You kill the fattened calf for him, you've never even given me a goat to share with my friends. What else takes away our joy uh, is having something other than God at the center of our world. Again, the older brother doesn't value his relationship with the father. 
the father is not enough for him. The other son comes back and says, Father, even if I could just be in your household, even at the bottom rung, just a slave in your household, that's all I'm asking of you. Whereas the older son, who has never had this relationship broken like the other son, has never actually had this relationship established because he's only approaching the father, again, transactionally. God was not at the, the father wasn't at the, the kind of the meaning of, of his relationship, just what the father could do for him. And likewise for us, when we only go to God for his benefits, for what he can do for us, and not pursuing a relationship with him, that can rob us of our joy because our goal is then not God. Our goal is the thing that God can give us. And when we don't get that thing, when God rightly withholds that thing from us because it's not good for us, then we start to blame God and become bitter with God. Lastly, uh, only looking at his lack and not what he has. This is kind of like comparison as well, but you don't even need to compare uh, in this sense. You're only comparing even with your own sense or, ex- or self or expectations. If you've heard this the saying, you know, count your blessings, I'm an advocate for that. I like that. I like having a look at what are the things that God has done for us? What are the things that God has done in my life? How has he acted upon me with grace and favor and mercy? Look at the many, the, the, the amazing life that I have in him, which doesn't rely on circumstances, relies on him being at the center, relies on me being able to relate with him and, and know him and pray to him and listen to him. Selfishness will always kill your joy. Selfishness will always kill your joy because you always want for more. You'll never be satisfied with what you have. And again, you can never celebrate in somebody else's win because all that does is highlight your lack or that they have more or something else that you could have but don't have. Going for meaningless things as well, I should say. This is the last one. Meaningless things. A pursuit of meaningless things will take away your joy because even when you get them, your expectation of them, they can never meet your high expectation. They're not made for that. They can never... I mean, always, they'll always be crushed under, under the weight of your expectation, whether it's a relationship, uh, whether it's a thing, whether it's a pursuit, any of these kinds of things. Things themselves uh, are not worthy of, a, of your pursuit, not worthy of your, like attaching your affection to them. The son wants a party for his friends. The father's only a means to some other kind of pursuit. And what the son doesn't know is he'd have that party and then he'd want another party. He'd have that party and he'd want another party. He'd want a better party or a bigger party or, or a bigger goat or a, another calf or a bigger calf or a bigger cow because those things weren't ever made to fulfill us but relationship with our Father. So I ask you, what, what weight is keeping you from joy? It might be one of these things. It might be something else. What weight is keeping you from joy? Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance for the race uh, the race set before us, looking to Jesus, so seeing his example, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> what weight is keeping you from joy? Is it, is it bitterness? Is it comparison? Is it trying to project some image of yourself to the world so that you can never really truly be known. You're always worried that if I, if I actually pursue God and the thing that is, is made and meant to most fulfill me, um, then other people might look down on me. What weight is keeping you from your joy? What sin is keeping you from your joy? Sometimes we look to sin to provide us with joy. We think, well, God, you don't know. 
you, you don't know what's best for me, or I hear what you say is best for me, I know what's best for me, I'm going to go and pursue that thing. It cannot give us joy, it doesn't provide joy, and it doesn't produce joy either, but it does keep us from the very joy that we are seeking. If ultimately what you're truly seeking is your joy, like a fulfilling kind of, satisfying kind of joy, then any pursuit other than God will only prevent you from actually living in that same kind of joy. So important that we know these things. You don't, um, how do you lose your joy? You lose your joy by losing your gospel freedom, by, by not walking in the freedom that you have in Jesus. How do you lose your gospel freedom? By becoming a slave to sin once again. By becoming beholden to these things that we think will give us joy. The, the ways of living, the attitudes, the pursuits, those kinds of things. We become slave to sin again. Even though Jesus has rescued you from being a slave to sin, we run back to look for purpose or happiness or comfort or meaning or direction or identity or fulfillment or passion or perfection in something other than Jesus. This is what's going to take us from our gospel freedom. That's what's going to take us from our joy. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about walking in the, in the freedom of the gospel, in the joy of the knowledge of God. You don't lose your joy due to bad circumstances. If we remember this passage we just saw here, we know we can have genuine sorrow alongside wholehearted joy. It says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I don't know if you've ever thought about having to endure something joyful, right? I endured this delicious meal. I endured my uh, sporting team winning the grand final. Well, we don't think about things in this kinds of way uh, of ways. I, endu I endured a great time hanging out with my kids. But we don't talk about joyful things like this because we often attach, we think of joy as being different on the other end of a spectrum to difficult circumstances. But what we see in scripture, and certainly what we see in the example of Jesus is joy in the midst of difficult, dire, even deadly circumstances. That these things are not things that can rob us of our joy. We can have full joy in these things because our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is found in the Father and in our relationship with Him through Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. And if these things don't change, if those things can't be taken away, then we can bring joy to every circumstance, good or bad. So what gives joy? Let's consider the younger brother, <clears throat> the one who blew all the money, who, who like shipwrecked his relationship with his father and yet comes back. Knowing how far he'd fallen, how much the father loved him anyway, the father welcomes him back in. The father lavishes good upon him. The father refuses to relate to him as a slave and welcomes him back, clothes him even with the robes of sonship, with the ring, the family ring, and says, no, no, you're not, you're not, you're not my slave. You are my son. Imagine this son. He's not done anything to earn the love of the father. He's done nothing. Uh, you see the father's love both on the son who never left and the son who leaves. The, the, the people themselves, um, the, the way that they've acted, that does not change the father's love for them. If the, sons, the son who, who ran away, the prodigal son who comes back, if his joy is dependent on the character of his father and not dependent on what he has done, good or bad, to deserve the love of the father or, or not deserve the love of the father, then the son has no risk in his joy being taken away because the father doesn't change. Okay, 
that might have been confusing. Let me say this again. Uh, so if the son, if his joy is dependent on the character of the father and not on anything he has done, good or bad, to earn it or to deserve it, then that son has no risk of losing his joy or his joy being taken away because the father doesn't change. The same is true for us. If our joy is not found in our circumstance, if our joy is not found in um, our relationships, good or bad, in our vocation, good or bad, in our health, good or bad, in our circumstance, good or bad, in our social isolation, uh, whether you're loving that or hating that, if our joy is wrapped up in the character of God and He doesn't change, then we have full access to joy all the time. Our joy doesn't change. Our joy doesn't have to oscillate uh, up and down depending on our circumstance. No, no, because we're not deriving our joy from our circumstance because our joy comes from a, a never-changing source, a never-ending source, then we can bring full joy to every circumstance. We get joy from the knowledge of Jesus, relationship with the Father. Uh, verse 32 in the prodigal son uh, literally means it was necessary to celebrate. We had to have a party. We had to have a party because the son who is dead is now alive. The one who rebelled is now back. We must celebrate. We, it is imperative that we celebrate. Uh, we celebrate, we, we have joy because we have a future. We have joy because we can have great relationship with one another because we're not looking for somebody else to satisfy us any longer. We are fully satisfied in our, in our vertical relationship with the Father and now we can bring a fully satisfied person, a, a whole human, to another relationship with another whole human. It's the most wonderful, wonderful way to live, full of joy. We get joy because... Uh, we place God over our lives where He rightly should be. This gives us joy. You'd think it's the opposite. you think that if, like the world will tell you, if you are number one, if you pursue the things that make you happy, self-actualization, then you will be happy, then you'll be satisfied. The inverse is true. When God is in His right place as Lord over our lives, we were made to be most satisfied in His glory. And so when we are filled with that with the joy and the satisfaction of God being God over our lives, knowing who we are, knowing our place in Him, uh, then we can have joy. It means being joyful in, it means we can be joyful uh, in suffering in times of hardship. It means we can be joyful in times of celebration. And we're not deriving our joy from the, the thing that we're celebrating. We can bring joy to that celebration. It means we can bring joy uh, in giving of our time and our talent and our money, our resources, we can give these things joyfully because we don't need them for our joy. We can bring joy and be joyful in our lifestyle. We don't have to harbor bitterness anymore. You do not have to harbor bitterness anymore. You might be thinking, man, but if I don't hold on to this bitterness, then, then I have to forgive. And all this thing goes unreconciled. But because we have been forgiven greatly, because our rebellion has not been counted against us, we are now in the position of being able to forgive liberally, freely forgive because we've been forgiven. We don't have to harbor bitterness anymore. We can forgive. That. Sure, there is, a, there is a sacrifice in forgiving because we have to let something go. It might have been an injustice, but we can still forgive. We don't have to harbor bitterness anymore. We don't, we don't only have to think of each other well. We can communicate with each other in a way that builds up. We can actually see somebody else like winning or... <clears throat> um, accelerating in life or having good circumstances, even when we have, do not have good circumstances, we can be joyful for them, even though 
comparatively we might lack because we're not comparing anymore because our joy is not found in our circumstances anymore. You can be happy for others. You can't. I mean, all of these things might sound too wonderful for you right now, but I'm telling you, you, you can have all of these things in Christ. It means we, ha- we can always have a disposition of joy. It means you can always be joyful. And I'm not talking about always just walking around, you know, whistling and smiling and being happy. There is a time to grieve. Uh, some of you will know, like, um, you know, we have mutual friend perhaps this week who um, buried their, their daughter. So it's a horrific thing to have people die. It's, it seems untimely. We would want them to grow up and to uh, like, you know, experience the, the wonders of a flourishing life. Uh, my own brother died when he was a teenager. Like it's, there's, there are times to grieve. There are times to grieve even just collectively with people around us. There are things happening right now in the world. There are Christian sisters and brothers who are being persecuted. There are um, people who are suffering from social isolation and distancing because of the coronavirus. There are people around the world, in particular in America, who are really suffering at the moment. Uh, people of color over there in particular, uh, even Aboriginal Australians here in our country, suffering at the moment. It's, it is good for us to grieve with them, but it doesn't mean our joy goes away. We actually bring our joy in our grief and, and grieve well. You may ne- Again, you may never have, heard, never have heard things like this before, but um, we can always have a disposition, disposition of joy. We need to remind ourselves of the good news as well. It's not just that it's a you know, one-time set and forget, uh, you know, I flick this, the joy switch on and now I'm always joyful. We need to remind ourselves of where our joy comes from lest we become enamored with the things of the world and start to drift away from the joy, the gospel freedom uh, of having our joy in the Father and start to drift into deriving or f- seeking joy in things in the world. We need to remind ourselves daily. This is how we maintain our joy. Here's the deal. Like in verse 28, the Father comes to you. Uh, maybe if you're not walking this joy. The father comes to the other son and entreats him. He urges him. He implores him, please come and join the celebration. It's not just for the son who went away. It's for everybody. He's inviting everyone into the celebration. He says, we must celebrate. He was dead and is now alive. And he says to his other son, everything I have is yours. I want to relate to you as a father. Please come into the celebration. Please come into the family. It's time to lay down your prideful heart. It's time to lay down this bitterness that you harbor towards your brother. Everything I have is yours, the father saying to this other son. And he says this same thing to you. Saying, don't harbor bitterness against somebody else. Throw off every weight and every sin that is preventing you from walking in the fullness of joy. Come into the party. We must celebrate. People are coming from dead, from death into life, into the newness of life in the Father. We celebrate these things. Come and join in the celebration. You might say, but I must hold on to this bitterness. You don't know what this person has done to me. And to that, I would say, you're right. I don't know what they've done to you or against you. But what I do know is the joy that is waiting for you, the joy you can be walking in, the freedom from that you could be walking in if you forgave like you've been forgiven. This is what the psalmist says. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's join him and invite 
as many as we can into the same celebration. Father God, I want to thank you for, uh, for these scriptures. I want to thank you for Jesus so we, as we look at his example uh, as the one who, taking even the sin of the world upon himself, pursued that with joy, knowing what it would purchase. And we are the great beneficiaries of his purchase, of your love, of your mercy. And so help us always to walk in the freedom we have in the gospel, the freedom and the joy and the satisfaction we have in knowing you and knowing who we are in you and the union we have with Jesus and whose we are. Thank you for saving us. We know like the rebellious prodigal son, we, we without you squandered our relationship with you, squandered even those good things you gave us in the world to, to enjoy. And we know we, we can't look to those things for our joy. But we look to you. We thank you that you are the satisfying one. Thank you that even, oh, in fact, I just want to praise you that even though nothing else that we, that we might go and pursue for our joy that would be crushed under the weight of that expectation, but you are far superior to even our greatest like, demand for joy. And so my request is help us and the Holy Spirit to throw off every weight, every sin that will prevent us from walking in the newness of life, in this gospel freedom. And may we live a joy-filled life for your glory, for the good of those around us, and for our own joy. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.